In the months leading up to priesthood ordination, I was uh, saint-stocked, if you would, uh, followed around by these different saints whose names kept coming up in my life. One of them was Blessed Francis Xavier Silos, who I had never heard of before. There was a relic of him at one of my classmates' first masses. And then the next weekend, I was in a sacristy in a parish that I had never been to before, and there was a book about him on the shelf. And then two weekends after that, actually just one weekend after that, I was in New Orleans for the wedding of two friends, and he was buried in that church. But another one of those saints who followed me around was Dorothy Day. If you are uh, confined to your home and looking for some good quarantine reading, a great book that includes a lot of fascinating material about her uh, is the book The Life You Save May Be Your Own, An American Pilgrimage by Paul Ely. And in that book, Paul Ely describes this fascinating and sort of hilarious encounter uh, that Dorothy Day and the Catholic worker community had with the Internal Revenue Service in 1972. The Catholic worker community received a letter from the IRS saying that they owed $296,359 in fines, penalties, and unpaid income tax from the previous six years. And what followed that, uh, along with some uh, strongly worded newspaper columns by Dorothy Day and a little bit of a legal fight, was this ongoing tussle between the Catholic worker and the IRS. Because the IRS couldn't really understand what the Catholic worker did. And Dorothy Day and the Catholic worker kept explaining, we're a community, we're not a family or household, but we're also not a business, but we're also not a nonprofit. We're just people. So we're not filing for any kind of corporation status. And we don't pay any salaries, and so we can't pay federal income tax as an employer because we're not an employer. If you come and you live here, uh, you get a bed and a room and clothes. And that is the same if you're a PhD, and there were PhDs living there. And that's true if you're a homeless person off the street. Understandably, uh, that does not really fit into any tax code. And this is exactly what the gospel does. It is sort of confounding, and what is confounding in the Acts of the Apostles right now as we set out in the adventure of the early church is not just that the apostles have these incredible healing powers, but almost just as confusing and as marvelous as that is the fact that the community of believers was of one heart and mind and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. That's what the Catholic worker was modeled off of, and it confounds all of our categories that we're accustomed to of property and of the ways that we live. The risen Christ breaks open all of our categories and so it is that Jesus can say to Nicodemus, sort of like 
Dorothy Day said to the IRS, if I tell you about earthly things, just the taxes we're supposed to pay, what we're doing day to day in this household, and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Which was what the Catholic worker really existed to do. So the question for us right now is, in this risen, in this new and converted life that we share with the risen Lord, how is God inviting us to live that new life like the apostles? Mother Teresa had a great rule, very practical. Every time you get a new piece of clothing, you give one away so that you're never increasing the amount of what you own. Writers in the early church often said, those shoes in your closet that you're not wearing belong to the poor, out of the virtue of justice. What is it that God, in our life right now, is asking us to share with those who need it? How are we being called to be abundant and generous in our self-offering because we have received the abundant and the generous self-offering of Christ the Risen One.